Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, and thank you for joining us at the table. In this episode, I hope to look at protected food and drink names. I hope to look into what it is, why it was introduced, and how it has affected people. Welcome back. So I wanted to look into protected food and drink names because of something I experienced at work. A couple of my colleagues were talking about drinks and they mentioned the word Prosecco. Now, I don't drink alcohol and so didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of this before and so I asked. They explained it was like a wine and I replied with, so champagne. One of them then explained, it can't be called champagne as champagne is a protected name and can only be produced in France. This interested me, and so I looked into it a little bit more. I'm just wondering if either of you have ever heard of this or even come across it. Sol, what about you? Do you mean the word Prosecco or Champagne? Oh, sorry. I'm talking about the idea of protected food names or drinks. Uh, Something like trademark? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of describing it. What about you, Dims? Yeah, well, like Sol said, uh, trademark, yeah, I've heard of that. Things like Coca-Cola and things like that. Is that what you're talking about, Niz? Well, trademarking a name, but this is where it's you're protecting almost how a food is made. I don't know if you remember, uh, but we came across this in one of the previous episodes. It was in the Two Onions episode, and they wanted to protect a well-known British brummy curry. If you, the listeners, missed or just need a recap, why not go back and listen after you finish listening to this episode? So, what is protected food and drink names? Well, it's not as easy as that from what I found. So I initially started my search with the term protected food names. This primarily brought up a UK government page about a geographical indication scheme or UKGI scheme. The page was published in December 2020, but that's most likely due to Brexit. And we may come back to this a little later in the episode. No, we don't want to go back to Brexit, thank you very much. We've already had Brexit, so we can't go back to it, we're in it. But I'm going to continue. The results also brought up a page from the UK Food Standards Agency. The page was an introduction to a food labelling e-learning course and was about the EU Protected Food Name Scheme or EU PFN Scheme. Is that anything like uh, ISO 9000? Possibly. Didn't look into it that far. I didn't match up the two. But regarding the EU PFN scheme, I'm guessing they might not have updated their pages yet since we're no longer part of the EU. The search results also returned a lot of other references about protected designation of origin or PDO, protected geographical indications or PGI, and traditional specialities guaranteed or TSG. These are all EU initiatives. So in short, the majority of results returned were related to the EU and UK. To verify what I was finding, I specifically searched for similar protectionist measures 
with keywords such as United States of America, Canada and other countries, but they all led me back to reciprocal agreements with the EU and the EU's initiative. So I started to concentrate my research on the EU scheme or schemes. Dim Sol, did you know that this was regulated? Dim's you first? No, actually I didn't, to be honest, Niz. How about you, Sol? Now that we're not part of the EU, would we even be part of the EU scheme? Well, under the Brexit regulations, we've inherited all of their laws by default, but the UK then slowly strip away those protections. Okay, that makes sense. There are three main schemes that fall under general indications or GI and protected food names, also known as PFN. These are protected designation of origin or PDO, protected geographical indications or PGI, and traditional specialities guaranteed or TSG. We'll go through each one to see what they are and how they are applied to food and drink products. To start with, we'll look at protected designations of origin or PDO. PDO can be applied to any produce that has been produced, processed or prepared in a defined geographical area. A PDO identifies a product as originating in a particular area which can, in some cases, be as large as a country. It's the area's ge geography and associated natural and human factors that give the product its particular qualities or characteristics. In other words, to receive the PDO status, the entire product must be traditionally and entirely manufactured, so that's prepared, processed and produced within the specific region and so acquire its distinctive properties. So in other words, something like a BMW, which is a car manufacturer, or an Audi, which is based in Germany, for example. Well, not exactly, because that car can actually be manufactured outside of Germany, and so it wouldn't be eligible for a PDO status. Okay. But then again, a car is mechanical, it's not food, and PDO is just for food. But, okay. I, I, but I get your analogy. Uh, this regulation covers certain agricultural products and foodstuffs for which there is a link between the characteristics of the product and the foodstuff and its geographical origin. It may be wines, cheeses, hams, sausages, olives, beers, fruits, vegetables, breads, or even animal feed. For example, foods such as gorgonzola, parmigiano-reggiano, asiago cheese, Camber de Normandy and Champagne. These can all be labelled as such if they only come from the designated region. Well done, that was a mouthful. What are they? Cheese, did you say? Well, the first four are cheeses, and then the last one is Champagne. And what region is it from? Sounds Italian to me. Some are Italian. Champagne can only be made in France. No, yeah. Nobody else can label their food champ uh, drinks Champagne unless it comes from France. All right, didn't know that. So going into it with a little bit more detail, for a specific example of PDO, to qualify as Roquefort cheese, it must be made from milk of a certain breed of sheep and matured in the natural caves near the town of Roquefort-Solizon in Aveyron, region of France, where it is colonised by the fungus Penicillium Roqueforti that grows in these caves. Guys, have you got any questions on what a PDO is? Yeah, to be honest, I still don't get it. Am I just being thick here or what? So, do you know what he's going on about? From my point of view, I'd say it's more like specific 
region or area. So when you were talking about Champagne before, you mentioned that that word is specifically can only be used in France and not elsewhere. Is that right? So you're nearly there, Sol. So for Champagne, not everyone in France can make it. It has to be from a certain town. They have to use a certain grape in a certain area. Right, that makes much more sense. That's great news. You, yeah, perfect. you, you're good, you. Thank you, Dims. Glad I can be of help. So let's move on and let's look at Protected Geographical Indication, or PGI. PGI is the same as a PDO in essence, but only has to be partially manufactured within the specific region. So manufactured being prepared, processed or produced. PGIs have a characteristic link to the defined area where at least one of the production steps must take place in, the, in that area. For example, Armagh Bramley apples, Melton Mowbray pork pies or Rutland bitter. So a good example of this is a Cornish pasty which has PGI status. A pasty is a British baked pastry, a traditional variety of which is particularly associated with Cornwall from the United Kingdom. It is made by placing an uncooked filling, typically meat and vegetables, on one half of a flat, short crust pastry circle, folding the pastry in half to wrap the filling in a semicircle and then crimping the curved edge to form a seal before baking. The term Cornish pasty has been given protected status by the European Commission. It means that only pasties made in Cornwall from a traditional recipe can now be called Cornish pasties, the Cornish Pasty Association said. Authentic Cornish pasties could still be baked elsewhere in the country, but they would need to be prepared in Cornwall. Have you guys got any questions around what a PGI is? So let me get this straight. So a PDO is where everything has to be done to a T to get that status. So to call it champagne, it's got to be a certain grape, certain area, etc., etc. Yes, all, all of the manufacturing steps must yeah. be done. In that certain area, yes. That's a P... PDO. PDO. And this one, which is a... PGI. It doesn't have to have all the steps, but it has to have the locality. Or am I getting it wrong? And so, so may, like you explained, it has to be folded in half and there's certain steps that have yes. to be taken. But yes. maybe they can change an ingredient here and there. They can't change the ingredients. Oh, can't they not? So it must be made, manufactured in a certain location with particular recipes, but it can then be cooked elsewhere. So, for example, Cornish pasties will be created and can be frozen in Cornwall, and then they can be shipped to bakeries across the country and then warmed there for people to eat. good example I can think of one would be Eccles cakes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they've got a, a PGI status, but yeah. If, if if the food item had to be all made in Eccles, but then the last step, which is to warm it or cook it, that can be done anywhere else. You can have them warm or cold. You can get it from uh, all supermarkets. And they're mostly made it here, up in the north. I'm not sure about that. I didn't look into the Eccles cakes. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if they've got PGI status, but that's something they can apply for. Then that would make sure, uh, that would designate them to be manufactured on site with the particular ingredients, but then the final step can be done anywhere else in the country. So that can be PGI status. So the only okay. f- the final step is a difference. Yeah, that's true. Main, that's the main difference, really. Yeah, that's true. So with the PGI, uh, prepared, processed, and produced, 
Right. So this, these are the manufacturing steps. One of those can be done uh, somewhere else. Like I said before, Niz, you, you, you're good, you. You're very, very good. Thank you, Dims. Please I hope continue. you are getting it. On that, let's move on and look into traditional specialities guaranteed or TSG. The TSG quality scheme aims to safeguard traditional food products of a specific character. This is different to PDO and PGI as the scheme does not certify that the protected food product has a link to the specific region. TSG products have a unique or specific character from other similar products of the same category within the market. Also, the raw materials, production method or processing must be traditional. The term, quote, traditional, is very important in this context and the regulation defines traditional as, open quote, proven usage on the domestic market for a period that allows transmission between generations. This period is to be at least 30 years, end quote. For example, the Karelian pasty, known as, forgive me if I butcher this word, Karjalan Paraka has TSG status. A Karjalan Paraka is a traditional Finnish pasty or pirog originating from the region of Karelia. They are eaten in Finland as well as adjacent areas such as Estonia and northern Russia. Since Karjalan Paraka has TSG status, this means that any similar product created outside of Finland cannot be called Karjalan Paraka and instead they would be named differently depending on their filling, such as Risi Piraka, which translates to rice pasties, or Peruna Piraka, which translates to potato pasties. Niz, are you making these words up? No, these are actually names of foods that exist in Northern Europe. Right, what language was that again? Finnish, did you say? Finland. So the Karjalan Paraka is the name of a Finnish pasty, and the others, Risi Paraka, and Piruna Paraka, I believe, are from the same region. Oh, all right, cool. Have you ever tried any of them? I haven't, unfortunately, no. Right. And even since I um, researched this episode, I didn't actually go out to try and find them either. It feels like uh, we've got another Two Onions episode here, making words up. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it. Another example is Falukov. No one going to say I'm making up words again? Falukov, this is a Swedish sausage. It's made up of a grated mixture of smoked pork and beef or veal with potato starch, flour, onion, salt and mild spices. Nah, In this case, me don't like sausages. No, but it's just an example. And we're not going to do a taste test. Not even it, halal ones? Nah, not my thing, bro. Not really, no. Well, getting back on topic. In this case, restrictions apply to what can be labelled falakov. Only potato flour may be used as a binding agent and the amount of meat may not fall short of 45%, although most brands of Falakov significantly higher meat percentage. In essence, to be able to be called a particular type of food under TSG status, it must meet the uh, ingredients requirement. Have you guys got any questions around what a TSG is? No, I think you explained it quite well there, Niz. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, excellent. Moving on. Okay, that's great, guys. Can you find me a TSG product then? Ooh, sounds like a challenge there, Sol. Are you up for it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so while they're off searching, um, so far we've covered PGI, PDO and TSG. Yeah, Niz, I think I found one. Watercress. 
Watercress is a plant in the cress family grown in the flowing waters using, oh gosh, how do you pronounce this? I think it's Nastratratium officinale seed at 10 to 11, sorry, at 10 to 12 degrees Celsius. Is that right, Niz? Yeah, how you described it does sound like a TSG. So to be able to be called watercress, it must be grown in flowing water. You must use a particular type of seed. I'm not going to say it because I'll probably butcher it. And yeah, the water has to be at 10 to 12 degrees. That would constitute a TSG. Top cell finds an easy one. I've got one here. Uh, a traditional Bramley apple pie filling. It's a TSG. Year it was awarded it was 2015. Pie filling is a homogeneous blend of Bramley apple pieces, sugar, and water using apples between 65 millimeters to 115 millimeters in size, cut at a size larger than 15 millimeters. That sounds about right for a TSG as well. It's it's the traditional way it's made. Anyone can make this type of product, but they have to make it the exact same way. There's a lot of people who try to apply for this status because it gives the product a status and then you can charge a little bit more. So we can see that the EU has really put some thought into this and set up several schemes to protect established and popular food and drink products. So just a quick recap, you've got the PDO, which is Protected Designations of Origin, and this is where the produce has been produced, processed, and prepared in a specific geographical area. Then you've got the PGIs, that's Protected Geographical Indication. This is where it has been partially manufactured within a specific region, so prepared, processed, or produced, but any one of those steps can then be moved out to another area. And then finally, you've got TSG, which is traditional specialities guaranteed. And this is where the product can be produced anywhere, but with traditional means. I guess the next question is, why was this introduced? Well, quoting from the UK Food Standards Agency, the EU protected food name or PFN scheme is designed to protect foodstuffs and agricultural products which possess characteristics attributable to the geographical area, production or processing methods used, end quote. The website also says the controls which are based around the registration of particular names to render them protected are intended to support agricultural and processing activities associated with high quality products. As such, they contribute to the achievement of the EU's rural development policy objectives. Also on Wiki, it states, quote, promote and protect names of quality agricultural products and foodstuffs, end quote. So the purpose of the scheme is to ensure the producers are able to protect the reputation of their produce, to ensure they stop any unfair competition from third parties creating cheap knockoffs, which can be of lower quality. The schemes are protecting the characteristics of the product, which are essentially linked to the terroir, Terroir is a French term used to describe the environmental factors that affect a crop's set of observable characteristics or traits, including unique environment contexts, farming practices, and crop's specific growth habitat. 
This in turn allows the producers to charge a lot more, as Wiki says, obtain a premium price for their authentic products. The schemes are also a way to promote rural and agricultural activity. The schemes help improve farmers' incomes and encourages them to continue to operate, which in turn helps create jobs for the local population and encourages them to stay in rural areas. Producers are also compensated by the higher premium consumers pay to continue to improve the quality of the product. The schemes also promote the conservation of local traditional production processes and protect the cultural identity of local communities. This also gives the consumers confidence in the product they are buying, assuring authenticity and quality. The schemes are used to protect the names and characteristics of wines, cheeses, hams, sausages, seafood, olives, olive oils, beers, balsamic vinegar, regional breads, fruits, raw meats and vegetables. Right guys, so do you know or understand why these schemes were introduced? Yeah, Nis, thank you for explaining it very well. Um, they serve a good purpose. To be honest, I didn't know they existed until you brought that to my attention, but um, I can see why they're there, definitely. What's your thoughts, Sol? Uh, to be honest, it's uh, all news to me. I've not known anything about this, to be honest with you. But I think it's all about, from my perspective, it's all about money. Yes, yeah, Sol, you're right there. I think it is about money as well. Um, it's almost like protecting the quality of the goods so you can charge more instead of it being cheap knockoffs and, as the term goes, a race to the bottom. What's wrong with knockoffs then? Yeah, good point. <laughs> knockoffs is good as well. Moving on, now I'm wondering, when was this introduced? Here comes the history lesson. Oh no, I'm going to get bored again. Well, looking into the history, keeping with the geographical indications and protected food name schemes, the initiative and legislation was initially introduced in 1992 and has continually been updated over time. I found references to changes in 2003 and in 2012. Of course, it's not as simple as that because it looks like the European Union was trying to harmonise national laws and regulations at the European Union and Commission level. I found that these measures were already in place by individual countries under their own national legislation. Wait a minute, we're Brexit now, so do they still apply to us? Yes, they do still apply to us since we ratified all of the European Union laws when we left the EU, but the UK has already started to introduce their own schemes and we may get into that later on in this episode. So it'll probably be an equivalent of what already exists, wouldn't it? Yes, Pretty much, yes. Yeah. One of the earliest GI or general indication systems is from France, founded in the early part of the 20th century and is known as the Appellation d'Origine Controlée, or AOC. There are also others such as Denominizing d'Origine Controllata, or DOC from Italy. There are also others from Spain, Portugal and even Romania. I'm not going to try to pronounce those. These national schemes and controls are still in place today at national level and are used in parallel with the European Union General Indications or GI schemes. There was even a 1951 international agreement on cheese names where seven countries took part. These were Austria, Denmark, France, Italy, Norway, Sweden and Switzerland. But in essence, the three geographical indication schemes that I'm looking into were introduced in 1992. Even though member states had their own national level schemes, 
to protect food and drink produce. This one should be easy, guys. When was the EU's GI scheme introduced? Dims, you first. Um, well, I'm guessing it was 1992. I was paying attention to this, by the way. Not so sure about Sol, though. I'm sorry, what are we talking about? Come on, Sol. What was the question again? When yeah. was the EU's GI scheme introduced? Uh, well, Dims did answer 1992, so I'll go with that. But I got bored halfway, so I wasn't listening, sorry. That ain't fair, that's copying. But am I right, though? Well done, well done. You did get it right. And Sol, I guess you got it right as well. Yay! Can I have a gold star then, please? We don't do gold stars here. So this next one should be easy. Where is it implemented, or where are the schemes adhered to? Well, the EU. Right? Right. Okay. Is this a trick question? Yeah. Is it? I don't know. I'd say. Well, yes and no. So, yes, it is a trick question. All of the members of the EU abide by the legislation within the Union. I'm guessing that's obvious, as it is an EU initiative. So, all member states will adhere to it. But what happens outside of the EU? Do you know what? I was actually just thinking that. What about places like China, when you're talking about. Uh, knockoffs they're quite famous for it aren't they so they don't have to adhere to it because they're not signed up to it right well what about our home place india right. yeah <laughs> what about india yeah yeah place in india you can make good uh um well call them copycats uh yep. imitation there knockoffs knockoffs as yeah. the word soul likes well let's get into it then there is no automatic protection for these names on products made and sold outside the EU. However, to get around this, the EU has made bilateral agreements with countries outside of the EU for some level of enforcement. Some examples of this are one with Australia regarding wines in 1994, one with Canada on wines and spirits in 2003, even with Chile and Colombia. These are bilateral agreements so as well as the EU protecting foods and drinks made within the EU and selling them outside the EU, countries outside the EU can register for food and drink name protection. So in, in essence, protecting imported food and drink names. What about China? They will have bilateral agreements with China as well. They can't produce champagne. Champagne is only French and from a specific region. And that, that was the bilateral agreement with Australia as well. Australians can't call it champagne. Right. So that makes sense now, Niz. Right. Okay. So um, everyone in the EU is under contract under this law or act or whatever it is. And, Legislation, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the countries that are not, some of them have a bilateral agreement to abide by these rules. Is that correct? Oh, correct. Right. Cool. I understand that makes sense. So, for example, Chilean Pisco must be made... I beg your pardon? Chilean Pisco. I beg your pardon? Wash your mouth out, sir. Sounds like a, a rude word to me. I think this time he needs to wash his mouth with soap. Well, I wouldn't mind washing my mouth out with this one. Wait until you hear what it is. Chilean Pisco must be made in the country's two official denominations of origin regions. These are... Atacama and Coquimbo. So what is Pisco? Pisco is a colourless or yellowish to amber coloured brandy. 
Another example is, I'm sure you all know this one, tequila. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Tequila is a distilled beverage made from the blue agave plant, primarily in the area surrounding the city of tequila. Did you know that one? No, actually, I didn't know that. Tequila is a town. Uh, Where is that, by the way? Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, that was a new one to me as well. I didn't know that. The red volcanic soils in the region of Tequila are well suited for growing the blue agave plant. And more than 300 million of the plants are harvested there each year. So, as you can see, the EU has tried to, or is, enforcing their GI initiative outside the Union. And they're doing this through bilateral trade agreements and so eliminating competition from other competitors. As the EU continues to enter trade agreements with third-party countries, often they will force these countries to agree to their list of geographical indications as a condition of the trade agreement, eliminating competition by the US or Australia that may already be operating in the country. Quiz time. Okay, is geographical indications an international law or legislation? So, you. Is this a trick question? Is it a yes or no answer? No, this isn't a trick question and it's not a yes or no. Is geographical indications an international law or legislation? Uh, I'm going to go with the first one. Well, go ahead, Dims. We have Sol's answer. Right, okay. Uh, is this what are we playing for a million, Chris Tarrant? Um, I'd say it's a legislation. That's just a guess. It's neither. So it was it's, a trick question. It's not Damn an it. international law. It's not international legislation. They're bilateral trade agreements with individual countries. Let's say no, if Australia it. wanted to brand their wines as champagne in China, they could do. Well, what if China wanted to do it? China could do as well. It's only when they trade with the EU. Right. So no one can make uh, wine, you said. Champagne, sorry. They can't call it champagne. So they can't make a cheap a cheap knockoff of champagne. So let's say a grapevine and then try to name that champagne because champagne has that nostalgia, it has history, and you can charge a higher price for it. Create a knockoff, you sell it a little bit cheaper, but with the same name. Of course, there's countries out there that don't have agreements with the EU and could definitely use a name as their brand yes gotcha but moving on we need to look at one final thing we need to look at how has this affected producers and consumers i guess in this instance it matters which side of the legislation you are on there are those who support the measure as it protects livelihoods product quality and regional identity and then There are those that say it's not about eliminating unfair competition, but more about monopolizing markets and not allowing fair competition. They would rather have an open and free trade. There are also issues of company development. What if a production facility is relocated under a GI initiative? A good example of this is Newcastle Brown Ale. It was restricted to being brewed in Newcastle upon Tyne, but they wish to move across the river Tyne to Gateshead and so applied for the geographical restriction to be revoked. But it's not all authoritarian 
and EU producers' applications for protection aren't always granted. In certain cases, if the name of a product has become generic, the application for protection is declined. For example, cheddar cheese, originating in the English village of Cheddar, is produced in many countries, including the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. The name Cheddar has been deemed too generic and is not protected. So Cheddar is not protected. So I could have like Cheddar, Cheddar Crisp, Cheddar, Cheddar, anything basically. No, what's, so you could produce a Cheddar cheese anywhere in the world and you wouldn't have to keep to a traditional, traditional method of making it or in a specific region. So this was this was a new one for me as well. I didn't know there was a English village of cheddar. I didn't know that either. And that's where it came from. My research uh, brought this to light. So you could have two cheddar cheeses, yet the method of uh, manufacturing them, it could be completely different in different areas. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. That's it. Right. There is also the issue of migrants taking their knowledge to a new region or country where they wish to produce the food or drink, they would be restricted to selling this outside the EU where bilateral agreements allow it. So this is a good example of where we were talking about trade outside of the EU between two non-EU countries. So you could take it to China and eat it there. Why do you keep saying China? Yeah, what have you got against China? I don't know, I've been watching a lot of uh, Trump programmes recently. It's in my head. Well, yeah, so you can move the production of right. a protected food outside of the EU and you could make it in this new country or this new region. India. Yep, you could make it in India. Happy but then you, But then you wouldn't be able to trade back with the EU. You couldn't then sell that in the EU. You'd only be able to trade with another country, so US, Australia. A country that's not part of that deal, right? Of the EU, yeah. Yeah, of the EU. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Moving on, another issue that arises with these schemes is what if a new protected name jeopardizes an entirely or partly identical name? Mm, not quite sure what you mean then is. Well, for example, this happened to three businesses when Melton Mulberry Pork Pie was registered and seven businesses went Cornish Pasty was registered. So going with Cornish Pasties, everybody was using the name Cornish Pasty for what they were selling. But Cornwall wanted to protect the name Cornish Pasty and make sure that people were receiving the authentic product. So with this example, the existing name may have been used on a product which has been marketed for at least five years before registering the application. So, with Cornish pasties, everybody was using it and they've been using it for more than five years. In this instance, the companies are given a transitional period of up to, up to five years. This allows the existing product to continue to be marketed without complying with the conditions of the new registration. So if you have a look at an example of the Cornish pasty, all of the companies who labelled their food as Cornish pasties had five years to change the name and change the branding once 
the Cornish pasty was registered protected. That comes to the end of what I wanted to talk about on food protection. Does that make sense, guys? I kind of get the gist of it, but um, I don't think I fully grasp it just yet. What you saw? Sort of. Not 100%. Like 50%. But I'd rather appreciate if you run through it one more time. Okay. I'll do a easier example. Let's say we make salt, you're a company. Dims, you're a company. You both produce a food called jalebi. Now, Dims, you want to protect the name jalebi and make sure that you're the only one who can use it so that you can protect its identity and its quality and its name. But Sol has been using the name jalebi for over five years. So when you register to protect the name Jalebi, the EU will give Sol up to five years to change his branding. So in those five years, he can continue to call it Jalebi, but it will be up to him at the end of the five years to have a new way to market it, a new name for it. Is that because I was originally making Jalebi before him? No, it was because you got in first with the registration. Right. Okay, that makes sense now. To me anyway. I get it. Sol? I think I put him to sleep. Wake up, Sol. We need we need to get him some jalebi and milk. That's from our previous jalebis. episode. Which one was that? My memory's gone so bad. Sweet tooth. Sweet tooth. Yeah, that was one jalebi of the baby. Ones. Oh he's awake. There he is. Right, did that did that make sense? I need to explain it just now. Yeah. That you're but trying to rob my jalebis and it's not going to happen. You're going to rob my jalebis. No, I got protected, remember? Bro, you robbed my jalebis <laughs> and then you tried to market it. Oh, go back, go back to sleep. He's just claiming jalebis because he's from India. <laughs> so, with this example, the jalebi wasn't a PDO protected. It was most likely a TSG protect, protected. So, what is a PDO? If you remember, guys, PDO is where it has to be produced, processed, and manufactured in a specific region and made a certain way. Like champagne. Like champagne. Yeah. Perfect. And a TSG is just something that has to be made a specific way but is not tied down to a specific region. Like watercress. And then you have PGIs where only a part of the process has to be in a specific region, like... Go on, Sol. This is your one. Sol. Gone back to sleep. Wake up, Sol. Cornish pasties. Well, coming to the end of this, guys, what do you think of these schemes, good or bad? Well, overall, this do sound quite good. Um... To be honest with you, I never knew they existed. But in a way, uh, it's reassuring to know that there are schemes like this to prevent knockoffs. Uh, so I would say overall good. So what's your opinion? Um, to be honest, I'm not sure because it's all about 
the person that has the most uh, connection or money because the people that like say i let's just pretend that they make knockoffs they might make a better product than the people that had the money to begin with so what makes you say that just because someone got in there first they could turn around and say oh our our food is much better than the second one well the second one could be much better than the first one so as you can see mm, advantages and disadvantages so i'm not 100 percent for and i'm not 100 percent against that's my opinion you are right you are right I, do, I do believe there are advantages and disadvantages but the question is overall good or bad so since you know you kind of did a lot of research into this i pose that same question back to yourself me personally i think it is good what it's doing is it's not just about TSGs, which is a food that is made a similar way. You're protecting a name, a status. Champagne, for example, had a status. People knew it was expensive, high class, you know, real good quality drink. And no, I've not had it. But other people started using the name Champagne on their own drinks. And then the name was tarnished. It wasn't classed as good any longer. So this protection makes sure that it's only produced in a specific region. It has to be authentic and it has to be of a high standard. This also in turn protects the people who make it. They no longer have to make cheaper and cheaper items. Like, like I said before, a race to the bottom. They can now maintain the quality of the product and even more so, improve on it. Well, thank you for your answers, guys. In a nutshell, basically it's all good if you're part of the EU, but it's not good if you live in China. Or India. Well, of course it's not good for them. They're not part of the EU. Speaking of which, neither is the UK since Brexit. But since the UK did become independent, they've created their own GI scheme. After Brexit, the UK has its own protected geographical indication scheme, independent of the EU one, but based on the same requirements. So the UK adopted all existing EU geographical indications on the 31st of December 2021 and protected them under UK law. But this is not the case in the UK for any designations registered in the EU after that date. So anything already registered under the EU before the 31st of December 2021 is protected. Anything after that date must apply separately to the UK to be protected. So for the UK's version, Europe doesn't have to comply unless we, we the UK, have a bilateral agreement with them, I take it. That's correct. So the UK has already created a agreement with them, but I'm not sure if um, the GI GI stuff is part of that agreement. Right, cool. It's still all up for negotiation. We've covered a lot, and I think that's enough for now. Yeah, I think that's more than enough. It's covered a lot of topics. So yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, agreed. Very informative. Uh, Nice. Well done. Thanks for that. Thank you. 
Well, I hope it all made sense. And in wrapping this up, it is something that I didn't really know existed, just like you guys. Well, I didn't know it existed in the food and drink sector anyway. In other markets, such as clothing and technology, you have the use of trademarks and copyright laws to protect your product. It's good to see that food and drinks are protected to ensure the quality and high standard of production. Most importantly, it preserves the heritage of the food or the drink. There is so much more as well. How it is enforced, labeling, use of logos, and all of this depends on the region it is produced in. For example, the UK or EU, and also what initiative it is protected under. For example, PDO, PGI, TSG. Let us know what you think of the EU's GI initiative. Is it good or bad? You can reach out to us on our social channels. That's all from us today. Join us at the table next week for another episode. Bye. See you later. Goodbye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.